Chapter Three of The Last of the Vikings by Johann Boyer, translated by Jesse Muir. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Three. If Christaver had to go the round of the countryside and beg people to become guarantors for a bank loan, he would have to make a special occasion of it. He had shrunk from it and put it off as long as possible, but one day a letter came from the bailiff of the inland parish to say that if he did not pay for the boat at once, he would send men to fetch it away again. One cold, windy November day he set out on his errand. He would not go to Brandt at Lindegård, or to any of the well-to-do farmers in the farming district. He would have to keep to the cottagers out on the shore, for the poor are the readiest to give help to one another. Many a night when he lay awake he had gone over his comrades in his mind, and now he weighed and considered them in a manner he had not done before. One was a good-for-nothing, to whom he would be under no obligation, another a miser, a third a sanctimonious fellow who would manage to get rid of him with a flood of pious phrases but here and there among them a face would appear before his mind's eye that ordinarily was all smiles and gaiety but which nevertheless held his attention for perhaps after all its owner might be more obliging than most there was a little red house with a grey cowshed beside it out by the wood below lindegord where his sister lived with her husband eleseus hilla relatives are not always the first one would apply to however and besides eleseus was one of those who look to see whether their wives use too much cream and coffee when they are away and he often beat her black and blue and yet no one could be angry with him long for among his comrades he was a capable man both on land and sea he was chopping wood in the shed when Christavert came, and they went at once indoors. Berit appeared from the kitchen, and on this occasion was neither black nor blue, and she even ventured to bring the kettle in and put it on the stove, although her husband sat looking on. There were plants on the window-sills behind the little white curtains, and there was a spicy smell from the juniper with which the floor was strewn. Christavert sat down by the door and lighted his pipe. He told story after story, and laughed heartily, finding it all the time becoming more and more difficult to say what he had come for. Berit looked at him, and thought he was not like himself. Her cheeks were hollow, but red, and her beautiful golden hair was twisted into a large knot at the back of her neck. She had married Elesus only because she had had a child by another man. "'Is it true, after all, what people say?' she asked, as she spread a cloth on the table. "'Say, have people anything special to talk about just now?' he asked. "'Yes,' she replied, "'that you've inherited such a lot of money from America.' "'I? From America?' "'Yes, and that it's with that money that you've bought your boat.' "'Ah, was that how matters stood?' And Elesus sat staring at him his large eyes standing almost out of his head with curiosity, and his white teeth gleaming beneath his brown moustache. It was so funny, so irresistibly funny, that in a spirit of mischief Christaver did not contradict the story. "'Ah, yes,' he said, 
It's strange how things sometimes happen. More than this, however, he would not say at present. As they sat drinking coffee, Elesu suggested that he should go with him to Lofoten in the winter, and Kristaver answered that was just what he had come about, and he should certainly go with him. Elesus did not stop here, however. He said he had been thinking of having nets of his own, so as to have a whole share in the fishing, but he needed a guarantor. Did he? Well, Kristaver was quite willing to back a bill for him, of course. When he left the house, he burst into a laugh. I'm a fool, and a fool I always shall be, he said to himself. It wasn't exactly to have fun that I came out today. Inside the cottage, Elesus was walking up and down excitedly. Now you can see, he said to his wife, wasn't I right? He has inherited money. Isn't it wonderful how things go for some people? Perhaps it's some thousands. You'll see, he'll be buying a large farm soon, and begin to drive about in a four-wheeled carriage. Ha, ha! You must go down this evening and ask him to lend us the money to buy a cow with. No, indeed, I won't, she said. You'll have to do that yourself. You won't? Is that the way you answer me? You'd better take care. You'd better take care. Kristaver trudged on in the cold north wind going in to one after another of his acquaintances, but always meeting with a refusal. Andreas Ekra was a well-to-do man, headman on the Stormberg, and had shared a hut with Kristaver for many years, but he said no. People seemed to think that it didn't do to be too open-handed when you hadn't a penny to do it with. Kristaver's knees seemed to grow weaker, as he went from house to house, leaving each with a fresh refusal. He held his hat on with one hand and swung the other vigorously. He had the whole day for the business, and would have to put up with a few more refusals. A man was coming toward him in a white blouse and a southwester, his left hand deep in his trouser pocket. He had a goatee, and as he walked his right shoulder was in advance of his left. It was Peter Susansa the headman on the sea-fire. "'Are you out this windy day?' he said, stopping. He spoke with a nasal twang. "'Yes, Kristaver was just out for a walk.' They both stood, as fishermen generally do, looking out to sea, which was greyish-white under the north wind. Peter Shusansa had the reputation of lying as readily as a horse trots. He told the most dreadful stories with the most serious face, and no one believed a word of them. He was now over sixty, and his beard was grey. He had recently lost his wife, and had an unmarried daughter living with him, who was awaiting her confinement. Today he was looking old. As they stood there, Kristaver, despite everything, forced himself to ask his assistance in the matter of the bank loan. And after all it was Peter, who had had so much trouble lately, who now said that he thought it might be managed. When they parted, Kristaver walked with a lighter step, but he still had to have another name. He met with several refusals afterward, but they were easier to bear now. As twilight fell he drew near to two little red houses up by the peat-bogs. They belonged to Henry Rabben, 
a man of a rather different type from the others in the neighborhood. No one could explain why it was that everyone looked up to him. He was a fisherman and a farm laborer like the others, had no more learning than they, and was in possession of no great wealth. But, however much noise might be going on in a room when he entered it, it instantly became quiet, and everyone in it was ready to make room for him. He was of medium height and broad-shouldered. On weekdays he went about in patched clothes like his neighbors, but his dark brown beard was always carefully combed, and his yellow moustache separated from it and brushed out to each side. He had a large nose and large eyes. He spoke little, but smiled when he did speak, and the more he smiled, the more serious was the expression of his eyes. When he was out fishing, he would occasionally snuff up a bailerful of seawater, because he said it was wholesome. He cultivated his little patch of land better than anyone else, and was the only man in the neighborhood that had a garden in front of his house, with bushes and flowers in it. When Christopher came, Henry was winnowing corn in the barn. "'You've come just when I was in need of you,' he said with a smile, as he brushed the corn-dust out of his beard. "'For I suppose you'll need a half-share man this winter, won't you?' Christopher recollected now that Henry was one of a boat's company that had been run down by a steamer the winter before in the middle of the night, and had lost both nets and boat. It was sad to think that this capable man would now have to go out as a common half-share man. "'That was just what he had come about,' said Christopher once more. "'Would it do to ask Henry to be a guarantor after all his losses?' Christopher was tired, and did not feel equal to going to any more acquaintances now, and when he made his request the tears were not far from his eyes. Henry considered, and pulled his moustaches only for a moment, and then his answer was, Yes. He shan't be the loser by that, said Christopher to himself, when at last he turned homeward with the knowledge that his boat was saved. End of chapter 3